Okay, so we'll go to Isaiah 53 to start. We are going to talk about healing today a little bit. Physical healing, namely. And we'll have to start in Isaiah 53 to do that. And we'll start reading in verse 3. This is Old Testament prophecy about Jesus. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Okay, so what we're going to look at first is verse 4 in detail. Where it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The Hebrew word for griefs and then the Hebrew word for sorrows means sicknesses and infirmities. A good cross-reference for this, just to have in your arsenal, is Matthew chapter 8 in verse 16 and 17. Again, Matthew 8, verses 16 and 17, that says, When evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So, griefs and sorrows is translated to infirmities and sicknesses in Matthew 8, because that's the meaning of the Hebrew word. So, griefs and sorrows is talking about physical ailments is what that means. And it says he was esteemed, um, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So that's, of course, a reference to his death and crucifixion. Then says he was wounded for, this is a key verse, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. It is very common for people to take the end of verse 5 where it says, by his stripes we are healed, and apply that to physical healing. However, according to 1 Peter, by his stripes we are healed isn't actually talking about physical healing, it's talking about spiritual healing. Verse 4, where it says he bore our infirmities and sicknesses, that part is about physical healing. And we'll revisit that in a moment. But where it says that by his stripes we are healed is talking about spiritual healing. And so you can see that in 1 Peter chapter 2, as stated in verse 24, says about Jesus, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. That's a quote from Isaiah 53. So the application of being healed by his stripes is that we would die to sin and live for righteousness. That's what that's what Peter says here. So of course, by his stripes we are healed, according to Peter, is talking about 
being healed of sin. In other words, repenting from sin and living a righteous life is what that's referring to. Now, because this is going to be a teaching that's primarily about physical healing, we do got to consider verse 4. Because, again, it says he bore our sicknesses and infirmities in his, in his death, his crucifixion. So that means that physical healing is included in the benefits of Jesus' death. But that healing is not guaranteed in every case that we have pain or sickness. And the reason why is because we live in a fallen world. And being delivered from a fallen body is something that's not promised to us until we all get to heaven. So if we're talking about true healing, that is in fullness never going to be realized here. That doesn't come until the next life. But in God's grace, we can be healed of certain sicknesses and infirmities, of course. And that is included in the benefits of Jesus' death. But according to Peter and Isaiah, the purpose of Jesus' death was to heal us of sin. That's the main purpose. If you look at how Isaiah 53 reads, it says, When he died, he did bear our sicknesses and diseases. But what he was chastised for was for us to have peace with God. That's what he died for. And that's why First Peter is saying the healing he was after was us dying to sin and living for righteousness. This is really important because the focus of everything we do when we preach the gospel is really should be people dying to sin and living for righteousness and, and inheriting eternal life. That's the most important part of everything that we do. Physical healing, again, is a benefit of Jesus' death, but it is not guaranteed in every single case that a person has a sickness or a pain. I'll pause there for a moment. Are there any comments or questions so far? Okay. So next, we know that God can, God can choose to heal at any point that he pleases. He has that ability, of course, because he's a miracle worker. But the general rule that we read about in scripture is that to heal and be healed requires greater faith. This is not the kind of faith that you have when you get saved because if healing was as easy as the faith that it takes to get saved, then everyone would be healed as soon as they got saved. But we know that it doesn't happen that way. That's because the faith for miracles is a different level of faith. And that's why I'm stating that to heal and be healed requires greater faith. It's not just the faith to be saved. It's, it's a greater, stronger faith than that. But it is, it is a type of faith. A couple examples of this to write down references are Matthew 17, verses 20 through 21. And then James 5, verse 15. So we'll look at Matthew 17 first. Matthew 17 in verse 20. The disciples attempted to heal a boy that was an epileptic and had a demon. They couldn't perform the miracle. Verse 20, so Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, they couldn't do the miracle. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith 
as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So notice the people he's talking to are already believers. These disciples already believe in Jesus. They already have the presence of Jesus with them. But then Jesus says, you have to have faith as a mustard seed, which means they didn't yet. If they did, then the miracle would have happened. So Jesus is teaching them there is a kind of faith you're not walking in yet that you have to grow into, and then you'll be able to do things like this, right? And then, of course, you have James 5.15, which is the next one. In James 5... 14 is talking about when somebody is sick to pray over them. Verse 15 says, And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. This is one of the few places in the Bible where you where you actually do see physical healing promised, but only if the faith is there. So it is promised that if we are praying for a person in faith, they will be healed. That's a promise. But again, it's not promised in the same way that salvation is, because otherwise everyone would be healed as soon as they get saved. This is promised with the condition that there is the kind of faith that's needed for healing to happen, for these kinds of miracles to happen. And that's something that believers grow into. So you could sum this up by saying that physical healing is not guaranteed in every case, simply because most believers do not have great faith. That's really the issue. Uh, it is God's will to heal. And because Jesus did bear all sickness and infirmity, we can know for certain that at the very least, we'll all be totally healed when we get to heaven. But physical healing happening in this life doesn't happen often because not very many believers have great faith. That's really the issue. So is it dependent on our faith? Because oftentimes Jesus will say, your faith is healed. Yeah, so the question is, is, does it always depend on our faith? Because there are many cases where Jesus told people when he healed them, your faith has healed you. So it's some of the time because there are cases when Jesus would heal somebody on his faith and they weren't even expecting a healing whatsoever. And then there are cases where a person would be healed on their own faith and Jesus didn't have to really be involved at all. Like, for example, uh, with that, there's the woman with the issue of blood where she, Jesus doesn't even, isn't even aware of her. And she goes and touches the hem of his garment and gets healed. And Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? I felt the power go out. But Jesus wasn't even conscious of healing somebody. He was just walking, right? Then when she identified herself, Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. I didn't even, this was you. I didn't do this, you know? Um, and then there are cases like at the pool of Bethesda, where Jesus walks up to the paralytic who had been a paralytic for 38 years. And Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? And he just made an excuse and said, well, there's nobody to put me in the pool when the water stirred up. And so obviously this guy wasn't in a lot of faith at all. And Jesus said, rise up and walk. And he was healed. So that's a case where Jesus healed somebody on his faith. And then there are cases where people got themselves healed on their own faith, drawing on God's power. So apply that today. What that basically means is that sometimes people are healed because someone else went and prayed for them and they had faith. And there are cases where you pray for yourself 
or take a certain action on your own faith that gets you healed if, if, if you're sick. Both of those things happen today. Both of those things happened in Jesus' day. In either case, faith is required. It's just that sometimes the faith is provided in the person being prayed for, and in some cases the faith is provided in the person doing the praying for someone else. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one that happens in Matthew 17. But aren't there even people that are healed and, you know, they were not even believers? Yeah, that can happen too. If a, if a believer prays for an unbeliever, then they can, an unbeliever can be healed. Because that's the believer's faith that's providing the power of Well, the man at the pool of Bethesda... Yeah. Huh? In, in the chosen, yeah. Um, so there's the man at the pool of Bethesda. He didn't actually believe in Jesus until later, when he was healed. He didn't know who Jesus was yet. And then there's the uh, Gentile woman. That's a little bit different case because she, in that case, technically was a believer, but she wasn't a Jew, and she was a Gentile. Which Jesus's ministry wasn't for the Gentiles at that time. But she would have been in the class of somebody who's quote unquote a Gentile unbeliever. Um, That would be another one. Yeah. The centurion, though, believed in Jesus, but the servant probably didn't know who Jesus was, you know. But I would say the best example is the man at the pool of Bethesda because he didn't know who Jesus was, wasn't even in faith at all, and he was healed anyway, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. So, okay, now we're going to get into the practical application of this because so far what we've discussed, if we sum it up, is that Jesus did bear sickness in his death. That makes it an included benefit at the very least when we all get to heaven. But being healed here isn't guaranteed at every case because being healed requires faith and not all believers have great faith. That's more rare to find. But it is promised if there is faith, healing will happen. That's the only thing in the Bible that makes physical healing guaranteed as a general rule, is if there is faith to make it happen. Practical application, we're going to start with this in Mark 11. We kind of have to debunk a couple a couple things. So Mark chapter 11 in verse 22 is where we'll start. It says, So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. This is another verse that very boldly states how effective faith is if you actually have faith. It's another case of a promise that's made unconditionally when a person does have faith. And it goes as far as to say that if you truly believe without doubt whatever you pray or say will be done when you ask. 
This, of course, applies to healing as well. So we could say, if you're if if you are sick or in pain or you know whatever the physical infirmity is, and you are truly in faith, and you pray and ask God for healing, then would the healing happen? Yes, of course, because it promises us that. If you're in faith, it will happen. Now, there are cases where a person will, this is where we get into even deeper practicalities, where a person will be unwell for whatever reason, and they will fear going to the doctor or turning to medical or natural remedies because they feel like if they look to some kind of natural remedy like medicine or a doctor, that that somehow says that they're not in faith and that to be believing in God, they have to not use a doctor and they have to just try to use their faith. That's a, a very common situation. But again, what we're discussing is that if a person is truly in faith, then they would be healed. So there wouldn't even be the discussion of whether they needed to go to the doctor if they were in faith, because they wouldn't need to go to the doctor because they'd be healed, right? So in cases where physical healing does not happen miraculously, while your faith is developing, it is okay to seek medicinal remedies or help from medical professionals. And I'll give a scripture for that in a moment. The reason why is because, like as was stated, if you were in faith, you would be healed. So to avoid going to a doctor to try to help your faith is really just lying to yourself. If you were in faith, then you, you wouldn't even be asking the question. Right? So the scripture we're going to look at is 1 Timothy chapter 5. First Timothy chapter five and verse twenty-three. First Timothy five twenty-three says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. In context, this is Timothy. The, the one that Paul is writing to. And apparently during this time when this was written, Timothy was having frequent infirmities in his stomach. So he had some kind of digestive issues. It was obviously causing him problems. And notice that Paul doesn't say, you know, when I show up or next time I see you, we'll just pray for you and you'll be healed. Or Paul had seen him before and they might have prayed previously. We don't know details. But prayer as a solution isn't mentioned in this case. It just simply says it was okay for him to use an, a uh, remedy for his stomach that was natural. So what this tells us is that, number one, because it's in the Bible, it is okay to use some form of medicine if it's actually going to be good for your body to help you be relieved or recover from certain infirmities. And it also tells us that common sense, doing things that are healthy for your body, is necessary. 
if we were in a fully healed and glorified body, we would not need remedies. We would just always be in perfect health. The fact that we live in a fallen world necessitates that we do things that are healthy for us in order to keep our bodies in good condition. And that includes things like exercising, eating healthy, so on and so forth. Those are all just part of what we need to do to keep a body that's healthy. And it's considered sin, actually, if a person is lazy or gluttonous. Those are sins that cause physical issues. And so repenting of those sins would include, of course, being disciplined and eating healthy. And that's part of what keeps a person healthy. So natural remedies or help from medicine is biblically supported. It's not a bad thing. And it doesn't make you an unbelieving person. It just makes you an honest person. Any questions so far? Yeah. So good question. Right. Yeah, so the yeah, the question is these apostles it seems were in great faith. So why is it that we're even reading about Timothy being sick, you know? Um so there's there's two answers to that. The first is a super practical common sense one, but it's it's more extra biblical. It comes from uh evidence in this time period in history because Timothy was a leader in Ephesus. And in Ephesus, there's a lot of evidence for the water being really bad in this part of the world. So it's likely the reason why Paul says don't drink only water is because the water was making Timothy sick. And so then he had to use wine to kill whatever was in the water so that he wouldn't get sick from the water. So that's one answer, which is just simply that Timothy was in faith, but he was drinking bad water and needed to do something in order to keep the water from getting him sick. Um, the second reason, and this is more, you know, a more directly in scripture reason, is that part of faith is not that you just believe for something whenever you want to. It's It includes this necessity that you know when God has decreed that something is supposed to happen and you're believing for his timing for that outcome to occur. And you see that in the ministry of Jesus because there are cases when Jesus would not just heal whenever he wanted to. Lazarus is an example. He wanted to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he had to wait until the fourth day, until after he went and actually did the miracle. So that tells you just because a person has faith for healing to happen doesn't mean they will be sent to either perform or receive that miracle on their timing. It, there's God's timing that's included in this. And there, there are reasons for that that we might not fully understand or know. But the main point is that part of believing for healing and receiving that healing would mean that you'd believe for it and receive it in God's time. And so, That's yeah. because when RJ and I were very sick um, for a full month, uh, and, and we, we were praying, and um, Jacob actually came to faith yeah I I yeah that is that's a really great example of this and this tells you again back to Isaiah 53 what's most important for God is for people to repent right die to sin and live for righteousness so 
um, RJ and Jolene are talking about how God's will for that situation was for them to remain unwell for long enough for Jacob to believe because it was such a desperate situation. And then after that, you guys recovered, right? Um, and so that that's how the will of God works. It's not that God doesn't want a person to be healed. He just knows that certain in certain cases, a person will have to stay sick in order to bring about a certain out, outcome. And in most cases, it's actually for other people because there's something that someone else needs to learn through your situation. And in some cases, it could be something you need to learn as well. You know, there's um, a case where I think it's Hezekiah, I believe, who became sick and God said he was going to die. And then uh, he cried out to God at a certain point during his infirmity and his heart changed. And then God said, okay, I'll heal you and add 15 years to your life. So for whatever reason, Hezekiah needed to get sick in order for him to repent. And that can be a more personal benefit that God uses that would delay certain timing for healing to take place. So if we're applying this to a situation where you are a person praying for someone else who is sick, remember that faith is about believing in God's word. And that word includes both scripture and the word of the spirit. So if you knowing the Bible, where the Bible says, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And you go to a person who's sick to pray for them, but the spirit has not told you it's time. Are you going to be able to have faith? No. Because if you don't know God's time, then you don't have the decree to rest your faith on for that person. You have a general scripture, which is still true, but you need the leading of the spirit to truly have faith. And you see that in the ministry of Jesus. He had to wait four days after Lazarus had died before the father gave him permission to go and do it, right? So part of faith is not just that you believe that healing will happen. It's that you have faith great enough to hear and know the Spirit's guidance for that person or situation so that you can pray in agreement with the will of God. And that's what makes faith work because you're, you're obedient to the Spirit and the Word, not just the Word. So then the, what we'll finish with is when it comes to developing faith, because that's, that's you know the question that comes up, how do we actually grow our faith? Because all of this is about being in faith or not. The way you develop your faith effectively, according to the word, is to be in prayer, to read the word daily, and most importantly, to take action on the word or do what the word says. Action of obedience to what you read is the most important part of growing your faith. Exactly. Scripture for this, we'll start at the first thing I mentioned, prayer, Jude. If you look at the book of Jude, that's just one chapter. It says in verse 20, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So, Building your faith comes through what? According to that scripture. Yep. Prayer. prayer. So prayer will help you build your faith. And the Bible tells you to pray, so therefore it's an obedience that will 
help grow your faith. Isn't taking action on your faith, just like lifting weights through a weightlifter would be the same? You have to, you can't just stare at the weights. Yeah. Yeah, you have to actually do something to grow. Yeah. Yep, so prayer is the first thing. There's that scripture, Jude, in verse 20. Then there's, of course, read the word daily. That comes from Romans 10, 17. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you want to have faith, it always starts with knowing what the word says first or hearing what the word says. So, of course, you'd have to read the word to do that. And then the last thing is to take action. That comes from James chapter 2. James chapter chapter 2. And we will read in, starting in verse 22. Well, 21, actually. James 2, verse, verses 21 through 26 is the part that we'll read. James 2, verses 21 through 26. says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. The works that it's talking about is actually doing what the word says. Right? Verse 22 is key that says about Abraham, faith was working together with his works and by works, Faith was made perfect. That means made complete. And verse 26 says, works is what makes faith alive. So faith is not complete, nor, it, nor is it even alive if there's no action. Jesus said you have to have faith as a mustard seed. Right? In Matthew 17, if you have faith as a mustard seed, then you'll be able to do these miracles. A mustard seed besides the fact that it's a small seed, is revealing that it's something that grows because that's what seeds do. You plant a seed in the ground, you give it good soil, you water it, and you give it sunshine, it will grow. That's why faith is called a seed because it grows. If you have a seed, or more specifically, soil, that is bad and you're not taking care of the soil, that seed's not going to grow. Or it might grow a little bit, but it'll stop and eventually die. So you could imagine your action, the action that you take to obey the word, is the water, the sunshine, and the good ground that you give your faith to make it grow. If you don't have any action, that means your faith is dead, and faith that is dead is not growing. So if you have no action, you have faith that is not growing. The more action you take, the more your faith will grow, period. And you start that action by reading the word every day to see what it says. That's what gives you the seed, because the word is the seed. You pray to support the building of your faith, and you obey what you read. That makes your faith alive, that makes it complete, and that keeps it growing. That gives it good soil, that gives it water, that gives it sunshine. 
this doesn't have to be just action on things that are related to healing. This is another misconception. Some people think, well, if I want to grow my faith for healing, then that means I have to go pray for a whole bunch of people and that will grow my faith for healing. But, and yes, that is one thing you can do. The Bible does say to lay hands on the sick. But if you're praying for a bunch of sick people for healing, but then your, you know, your house is in disorder, you have a whole bunch of sinful addictions, you're not repenting from sin you know is in your life, is that active faith? No. Because you're trying to obey the word in one area, but then neglecting all the other areas. Anything that you do, it doesn't have to be connected to healing at all. Anything that you do in obedience to any part of the Bible will grow your faith. And that will grow your faith for everything. That might be faith for healing. It could be faith for provision, your trust in God, your belief for everything that is of God is included in this. The Bible doesn't say that there is a specific type of faith for healing. It just says there is faith and your faith grows. And the more that your faith grows, the more results you will see in all areas of your walk with God. So, it is a really good idea if you want to see, you know, not just more power, more miracles in your life, but just greater effectiveness as, effectiveness as a believer to when you read your Bible in the morning, make sure you know how to take action on what you read and then actually take action. Actually do what it says, because that's the only way your faith grows. And remember also that in the parable of the sower, Jesus said taking action is not you start doing it for a little while and then it gets a little harder, and then you quit. That, Jesus said, is action that only produces very little growth, and it ultimately perishes because it did not continue. The kind of action we're dealing with is action that persists and action that continues regardless of circumstances. So you start doing what the Word says, and you keep doing it, and you don't quit. That keeps your faith alive. So again, read the Bible every day and do it. Do what it says. That's what makes your faith grow. The more you do that, the more you're going to see, the more effective of a believer you're going to be. And that, that action is inward and outward. So when mm -hmm. we're talking about action, we're not just talking about what we do when people are in front of us or watching us, but that action is also internally. Self-control is an action. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love is an action. Being yep. a servant is an action. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because it always starts with how you think. I mean, that's why reading the word is so important because when you read the word, it renews your mind. Mm -hmm. Once you have your mind renewed, that gives you the foundation to start changing your actions. Right. If you if you try to, you know, like the word says, love your enemies and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to love my enemies. But then your mind still is harboring all this bitterness and unforgiveness and you really don't like a lot of people and your, your mind's all messed up. And then you try to go love your enemies. It's going to be really difficult. You would want to read what the word says about love in how you think first, and then you could actually take more physical actions to put that love into practice. So that's why, yes, of course, love is in both your actions and your thoughts and your feelings. Uh, obedience is in your, your actions and your thoughts and your feelings. Um, yeah, so if we go back to the matter of physical healing, you know, if you got a sickness in your body, one that's been around for a while or, or not, doesn't really make a difference. The point is, don't lie to yourself in thinking that you're in faith and therefore you shouldn't go to the doctor. 
because if you were in faith, we wouldn't have this conversation. You would be healed, right? So instead, work on growing your faith by obeying the word. And while you're growing, go to the doctor. <laughs> That's the point. That's not a bad thing. Um, the only time it becomes bad is if you're putting your trust in the doctor. That's the point, right? That's why you got to grow your faith because you should be putting your trust in God and make use of the benefits that are in this world to help relieve physical infirmity while while you can. Well, yeah, that's not the kind of trust I'm referring to, you know. Right, right. Any, yeah, anything you can do, common sense, I think people are too quick to be healthier. To yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Because there is something they can do to help you mm-hmm. by prescribing something. I mm-hmm. get that. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying we shouldn't be too quick to jump out of the kingdom of God into the, right. the world system right. when our faith. Yeah. I, I would say it's, thank you for sharing that. It's worth clarification that relying on the kingdom of God first yeah. doesn't mean sitting in your prayer closet and just tear blue in the face praying. And saying, I won't go to the doctor because I'm a believing person. It's more about doing the things the Bible says for you to be healthy God's way. And God's way of being healthy is exercise, eat healthy, renew your mind, think the right way. Don't be an anxious, depressed person. You know, all those things are God's kingdom means of being healthy. And if you do all those things first, you will be a lot healthier. And in most cases, you won't have to go to the doctor. You'll, because that those are the preventative measures, if you will. If you're doing all those things, and therefore you're in obedience to God's kingdom principles, and you have a problem that shows up in your body, and your faith hasn't grown enough to be healed miraculously, it's okay to go to the doctor as an additional means of help. That would be what this would look like, you know. <laughs>